Welcome to Rise to Liberty podcast, the best podcast you've never heard of, fighting for the First Amendment and spreading the message of liberty for all. Head over to risetoliberty.com for everything related to the show, including our merch store, social media, and to listen to the show itself. risetoliberty.com slash blue dress for a special piece of merchandise that a portion of the proceeds will be donated to savethechildren.org to help fight child trafficking. Finally, don't forget to go to TomFor52.com. Thomas Queter is running for New York Senator and could use your help. So head over to TomFor52.com and leave a donation. GreasyPorcupines.org for all your auto repair needs in Arizona. Open Monday through Saturday, 24 hours a day. Just call 602-845-0105. Now today, we have an incredible guest. She is currently the chair of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County and is running for the chair of the National Libertarian Party in 2022. So welcome, Angela McArdle. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I was just glad to get you on. I know how uh, busy you are getting pulled in a million different directions. So you always seem to handle it quite well, though. Yep, I am extremely busy, but I try to also be very accessible. I think that is a good thing for me to do. I agree. So, uh, let's see. I guess let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, becoming liberty-minded uh, isn't just a, you know, a one situation and you just become liberty-minded, focused on liberty. It's a bit of a journey. So where did you begin your journey? Oh, um, it's like a, it's like a story in three acts. So when I was a teenager, I just had a conversation with someone about politics. It was very politically aware, I think as a teenager, but not in a libertarian way, just in a very like left, right, Republican, Democrat way. I grew up in a conservative home, you know. Watched, watched the news, unfortunately, all the time. So I had a conversation with someone and I was saying, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, but I don't think people should go to jail for like weed and stuff. Uh, and I don't really care that much about gay marriage. I don't, you know, from a conservative standpoint, shouldn't they want the gays to get married? And, and uh, my friend, he was like an older rocker dude in the community. And he said, you sound more like a libertarian than a Republican. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, I've heard that word before. It's not offensive. Uh, okay, that sounds like me, I'll, I'll do that. And that was it, I'm a libertarian, you know. But uh, fast forward many years and I read The Creature from Jekyll Island. And that blew my mind and completely imploded my worldview. And I just, became like obsessed with reading about the Federal Reserve and central banking and trying to figure all that out. And so then I realized like, oh, there's actually like, there's something at stake with libertarianism. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm just pissed off and I want to leave the government to leave me alone, or you could just smoke weed and, you know, everybody be cool. Like there's more to it. And then fast forward a little bit more and I got involved a little bit with the Ron Paul revolution and heard about Ron Paul. And then I realized all these other people, they think the same thing that I do. 
I'm not alone. Like, I'm not the only person freaking out about the Federal Reserve and how terrifying our government is. So it took kind of like three, I guess, three epochs in my life to become like a wholly integrated libertarian. Go over 10 years. Yeah, that uh, that book is also one of my awakening moments as well. As soon as I found out about the whole system, how it works, the fact that all of our money is just might as well be monopoly money, I was blown away. And uh, yeah. You know, once once your mind's opened in that direction, it, it just can't go back. You can't put it back into the box. And uh, yeah, G. Edward Griffin, absolutely incredible. Recommend that book to anyone. Oh, yeah, definitely. Everybody go out and buy the creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, get a box of tissues because you're going to cry about how awful the world is. <laughs> but then it'll be OK. We'll move past it. Exactly. So why? I mean, Hopefully you didn't answer this uh, directly, but why why the libertarians uh, instead of, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, or the hell, even the Green Party? Why? Let's go through those. So why not the Democrats? That would make no sense to me because they seem to be, most of them, like the antithesis of personal freedom. I'm not a big fan of democracy. I have never... I never drank that Kool-Aid. Like, weren't you ever a little uh, a kid or a teenager and everybody's voting on what they want to do and you're the minority vote? And then you're like, well, that sucked. <laughs> that doesn't, like, that didn't really achieve anything. Uh, so I've never been sold on democracy. Uh, why not the Green Party? They're less bad, but their economics are really bad and they don't seem to care about any of the central banking stuff. Neither do the Democrats. And then the Republicans will pretend to care about it while they're campaigning, and then they don't care as soon as they get into office. Like Donald Trump. I didn't get tricked, but a lot of people did, because he said that he was going to audit the Fed like in his first 100 days. That was like a big deal. I remember reading that and being like, all right, I don't believe it, but if you do, maybe you'll, you'll move me a little bit in your direction. But of course, that didn't happen. So, I mean, there's like a dozen, just dozens of reasons to not go Republican or Democrat. But those are the ones that really, for me, jumped out. So, I mean, I'm I'm a Libertarian member. Um, I hadn't gotten involved in a party um, for many years. Very small L, Libertarian. Um, you know, I kind of think that's more Libertarian, you know? don't yep. want to be part of a centralized group. Um, also, there there was a, a lot of uh, infighting that I would see from the outside. Yeah. Um, I think that really counts against the, uh, the LP in general. Uh, a lot of people see that and say, well, they, they can't even get along themselves, then how are they ever going to take on the state or, you know, follow through in their promises? Uh, so what do you believe is the main cause of the LP fighting? Well, there are a few things. One is that people fight the hardest when there's very little at stake. And that has been the situation for, I don't want to say the entire lifetime of the party, but more than the last 20 years. Because I do think that when the party was founded, they had incredible momentum and they could have gone a lot further 
Like if we'd stayed on that trajectory, we would be a very different organization. But like all good things, they get infiltrated by bad things. And for the last at least 10 years, I would say that the party has been incredibly preoccupied with chasing mainstream culture instead of building its own culture or being counterculture. And that has created a lot of division in the party because not everybody's on board with that. I'm not on board with that, but other people were and it attracted people who I'm very happy that they're voting libertarian, but they have no place in party leadership and people who probably shouldn't be party members, they should just be voters. And when you, when you throw a bunch of people in who have very different ideas about libertarianism and maybe they were led there on good faith because someone told them, Hey, you're a libertarian. You just don't know it yet. You throw everybody in the same pot and kind of creates a big chaotic mess and everybody's fighting and arguing. And I think that's part of why we got to the spot that we're at now. And other people, they would just say, Oh, Angela, that's not it. It's just a bunch of feds. Okay. (laughs) So then the other theory is that feds came in and, you know, disrupted the party. Probably the truth is somewhere in between, probably a little bit of Fed and then a whole lot of woke mainstream culture nonsense. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely say 2016, uh, I, I still wasn't even involved uh, officially as a LP member at that point, um, mainly because I saw where the leadership of the National LP Party was and uh, I saw their messaging and that didn't align with myself and I had officially been at least I declared myself a libertarian since just right out of high school Um, so you know I considered myself a libertarian for years before I got involved Mm -hmm. in where the libertarian national party was messaging I it didn't align with what I had learned libertarianism was or what the party should be um, you know, I, I was too young at the time to vote for Ron Paul, but I was definitely a part of being awoke, uh, awakened by his messaging at yep. the time. And, uh, I didn't see a whole lot of that, um, in the newer messaging, uh, the, the newer leadership. Um, it was really disheartening. And then, yeah. I, I had a uh, a friend a friend of mine who is also a libertarian uh, tell me about the Mises Caucus, and as soon as I heard uh, heard the word that uh, Michael Heiss was spreading around, I was like, "I'm sold. I'm in. Let's take the party back. We've we've got to get yep. the the party back into the hands of libertarians." So it's happening. So you're a member of the Mises Caucus, and. What about the caucus attracted you ultimately? So the first thing right off the back was that they were all about Austrian economics and Ron Paul. That sold me. Like that's that's pretty easy. But after being involved now for a few years, the energy and enthusiasm, the way that we can recruit, like our recruitment is off the charts. Can't compete with us. Um, rejection of woke culture wars and the ability to take criticism from the libertarian community small l and take it to heart and be like you're right 
we want to improve. Those are my favorite things about the caucus. It's it's really great. Um, I would say that there's also more women in the caucus than we get credit for. And there are a lot of minorities. And I don't care about tokenizing people, but it shows me that we're doing really good outreach because we're reaching minority communities and demographics that the Libertarian Party usually has, has failed at in the past. So that makes me feel really good about the work we're doing. Yeah, I've, I've seen an explosion of interest in the party since the Mises Caucus, which was, you know, really one of the big things was to get the energy back from the Ron Paul movement, you know, um, and that was just great. Um, like I said, I was, I was too young to be a part of that at the time. And so to hear that, uh, people wanted to get that back and to really push these ideas of, uh, well, let's audit and end the fed, you know, I just loved it. So, yeah, yeah, I've, I actually have noticed, uh, more women, uh, joining the party mainly through the Mises caucus, which, uh, seems to be interesting because it's largely a, a boys party, you know? Right. It is, and I mean, honestly, to a certain extent, I'm okay with that. I just want to make sure we're doing the outreach that we should be doing. And the the Mises Caucus has excelled at anti-lockdown activism and medical freedom activism. And that's something that a, a lot of women care about. Women care about what goes into their children's bodies. They're very conscious of, of parenting and, you know, like lockdowns. It woke a lot of people up with school. So some people on one hand were frustrated that schools were shut down and they thought that was, you know, a, outrageous and the government shouldn't have done that. And a lot of other people said, hey, we're pulling our kids out of public school. This is this is not good. This is I see what's happening. And and just being able to talk about it and have a nuanced opinion and say, you know, like, I don't believe schools should be closed, but I also don't agree with the public education agenda. It really makes you more open minded than most people. And I think that that's drawn a lot of moms and um, young women into the party, which is great. And some grandmas, too. Hello, grandmas. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm all for anyone and everyone joining the party. Um, you know, the, the one thing is we don't really tell people how to live. It's just right. don't tell other people how to live. You know, choose how to live as long as it's peaceful. You don't commit fraud or violence against other people. And then other than that, live however you want. Yep. Yeah. We've got a lot of gay people in the caucus too. Oh, sorry, haters. It's actually true. And what I hear from most of them when we talk about culture stuff is they're like, I just appreciate not being tokenized and weaponized. I just want to be treated like a person and not have people put my sexual identity on a pedestal and, you know, tell me, like, this is the most important thing in my life. Or, oh, you're gay, so you have to vote this way. Like, we just are like, hi, I'm Angela. You're, you know, whatever their name is. And, oh, you're gay? Okay, not a big deal. And then we just keep doing our thing. Yeah. It's almost like how human beings are supposed to treat each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, being gay isn't a personality and that we're not going to use that right. for, uh, you know, fundraising or... Uh, to spread our message further. Like we're not going to use people. <laughs> right. 
Right. Like, I value you as a human being. You have intrinsic value as a human. I don't need to tokenize your skin color or your sexuality. So, I mean, with with the infighting, it kind of seems like, obviously, libertarians are always going to uh, argue against each other. You know, the the best way to do things, you're going to have the minarchist fight against the anarchist. um, And that's always going to happen but there seems to be a a special type of fighting now because there seems to be a lot of people who were politically homeless for a long time uh and now that they've kind of come to the libertarian party thinking that it was one thing or another and they've kind of infiltrated taken over and gotten into positions of power and now there's this fighting uh specifically about words and the messaging um, words or violence. I personally don't believe that. Uh, what's your take on that? Words are not violence. But, you know, we get into this weird gray area and we expect that we're going to have a perfect answer for everything. So words aren't violence. But if someone threatens you, what is that? Is a threat violence? Does it Does it really matter? Can we not figure this out just like adults? Because I feel like this is a small gray area, but it's a gray area. And I think people on both sides, you know, can have a good faith disagreement on it. I think that because we're libertarians, we have made a mountain out of a molehill. And so people say things that are mean and now that's violent. Okay, took that way too far. Uh, someone makes like a sarcastic or veiled threat or something that can be taken out of context as a threat and now that's violence too that's it's like can we just dial it down a little bit can we dial it down well i you know a a lot of this uh woke culture um Mm -hmm. i i believe is definitely seeping into uh most aspects of our society in general yep um, it's definitely attacking it. Um, you know, I have my own tinfoil hat beliefs about, you know, where it's coming from and the purpose mm-hmm. and everything, but it definitely seems like at least that the, the words are violence. Uh, it's trying to perpetuate the idea that, you know, whatever I say, I am responsible through my words for somebody else's feelings. Yeah. I, I've never been responsible for somebody else's actions or feelings or anything. And I, I don't know how to take it. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to it's, deal with somebody else. It's positive rights seeking into libertarianism. Does it, you know, like they're trying to creep in. Do you want to, do you want to explain positive rights just for anybody uh, yeah. real quick? So positive rights are when you say I have a right to something that does not come out of your own body. So like healthcare is a human right. That is a common trope. And that would be a positive right. Negative rights would mean that your rights, you know, you can control your body, you can do what you want, and no one can forcibly aggress against you. You know, like no one else has the right to slap you in the face or throw you on the ground. Uh, You don't have the right to do that to them either. I think that's like the best layman's term, you know, like, so like minimum wage. If anyone considers that a right, that would be a positive right. We, We have had to create that out of nothing. Um, and the nothingness, I guess, that would be related to your negative rights. Yeah, that's 
it's really interesting uh, the the positive rights kind of seeping their way in. I I do think that there's a bit of a bleed over from you know parties such as like the the Green Party and stuff uh, mm-hmm. coming into the Libertarian Party. I'm not sure if that's uh, intentional. Uh, you know, I've just heard through the grapevine that the Green Party themselves is. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, is kind of disbanded or they're just not as active um, ever since the last presidential sec- uh, election. So, you know, there's just all these people wandering around like, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. Well, let's go to the Libertarian and see what they do. And right. we're porcupine pacifists, so it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, come on in. And then they're way more militant than most people, so they just kind of take over and it's, I don't know. It we was, need, yeah. it, it was really difficult. Little, we need to be a little bit more guarded about who we let into the party. So I think about, I want a big tent. I want a big tent of voters. I don't want a big tent of people running the organization. And I would like people to be encouraged, you know, to join the party kind of on the periphery if they're not 100% libertarian, but don't try to get them to like run for county positions and get really active. Let them kind of be like a student, just like watch and learn. And after they're totally on board, then try to get them to do more. But I think we've been so desperate to grow that we do a lot of outreach to people who just have no place in the party because they're not libertarian. doesn't mean they're horrible human beings. It just means that they just don't belong here yet. Yeah. You know? Well, like I said before, being liberty minded is kind of a journey, you know, like yes. I, I wasn't the most principled libertarian when I started down, you know, the liberty road. Right. Um, Me neither. I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, exactly. So why, why would we shove somebody into some public office as a libertarian if they're not going to fully represent the libertarian platform? Right. And we've been caught sort of in this like desperate cycle for a while where we we don't plan for our future very well. We have a high time preference, so we value what's happening in the here and now, the tomorrow, very much so. We don't plan 10 years in advance. And so we think, oh, this person, he ran for office, and now he's been cast out or whatever. Let's try to get him to join the LP and uh, run for something, and then we'll get popular and we'll have a win. It's, whatever. Like it does, It's not a win if you get someone elected who's not a libertarian. That's a loss and an embarrassment. It, it really is. It, it does give um, the party this. Uh, it, it gives people on the outside of the party this view of us as not a very serious option. Right. Uh, as far as I understand it, we are the third largest political party in the United States. Um, granted, we are, are a uh, far cry away from, you know, the the two larger parties um, as far yep. as uh, membership and uh, money, all these other things. We also don't accept dirty money, so I guess that you know kind of um, works out for us morally. Um, but to play with the big dogs, you know, it it makes it, it makes things very difficult for us. It does. I would say we don't accept dirty money yet. Because yeah. no one who would have accepted it, and I think there are some, but they didn't have the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we all know who those are. So, so, um, 
you are the chair of the Los Angeles County Libertarian Party. Um, yeah, that's right. How How is that going? Um, oh, man, I never know how to answer that question. Well, I have a wonderful group of people. I just absolutely adore my um, Los Angeles County Libertarian Party. My members and my executive committee are phenomenal. I have a, a group of people that works really well together and they work really hard. The city of Los Angeles, you know, is a flaming dumpster fire. <laughs> but there's good reason to not abandon it yet. And that's that culture flows out of L.A. and it infects the rest of the country, including where you're at, where everyone is at. So there is a good reason to stay here and fight it out as long as, you know, I can stand it, I guess. Yeah. So uh, California's not completely lost. It's not completely. So that's an interesting thing. Los Angeles, pretty bad. It's pretty bad. San Francisco, really bad. Sacramento, bad. Shockingly, not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, the rest of the state, though, is pretty red. Yeah. This is not. This is not a totally progressive state. It's just that the major urban population centers are very far left, and everyone else gets dragged behind them. Central California is full of people wearing cowboy hats. It's it's a trip, man, to drive through it because I'm like, what? Where's <laughs> my Starbucks latte? What what is this cowboy diner stuff? Yeah, like that is the attitude that many people in LA have. Though we live in this little bubble and we think that we're the end all be all. You know that we are California. But that's not the case at all. Well, it that is really interesting. Uh, I, I guess a really good thing why. We are not a pure democracy because those yep. little bubbles would be able to decide for the rest of us. It, it is really good to hear, though, that uh, outside of these bubbles, there are, you know, actual people instead of just oh, this yeah. toxic group thing. And, and since things have gone really off the rails like in 2020, it's been like devastating for everyone who's not crazy, but it's also been an awakening of people with shared values and we've discovered each other and been able to network and grow more. So that's been really encouraging. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Do you, do you see a lot of uh, people leaving um, as it's been reported? Is that uh, more true than not true? Oh, it's very true. There's a ton of people leaving. Yeah. And, and understandable. A lot of people are getting fired and losing their jobs. Yeah, that's uh, that's really rough. I, I, I mean, it's happening everywhere. Um, you know, a lot of that medical freedom is uh, disappearing. So yeah, that's what I was doing today earlier. Like I was out at a rally working on an anti-vaccine mandate initiative, getting volunteers signatures, getting getting ready. Yeah, I. I had a uh, interesting discussion. Well, it was more of an argument <laughs> uh, on Twitter. You know, don't be shocked. <laughs> but right. it was uh, with somebody who was very uh, pro-vaccine mandate. Um, and, you know, for the record, I'm not uh, anti-vaccine, just anti-vaccine mandate. Uh, and it, it basically came down to me informing them that they they the uh person that was pro mandate 
was focusing on the the wrong word uh, because they mm. were inferring that just because you're against the mandates automatically makes you anti-vaccine. I said, no, it doesn't. Right. That, that's not true at all. It's, it's not anti-vaccine protests. It's anti-mandate protests. And a mandate is right. a command. It's an order. So it, uh, it, it's really shocking to see the amount of people who are willing to imprison uh, and advocate for torture of fellow citizens mm-hmm. or the ruining of their entire life just because they are making a decision that they don't agree with. So yeah. how do you think we combat these ideas which seem to be more prevalent in today's society? I think that it's really important that we take our rational, logical arguments and wrap them in emotional appeal. Because most people, they don't really get the um, the cold, factual, rational arguments. Like, it just doesn't reach them. I think you need to tell the stories, explain what's actually, like, wrong. You know, how these mandates have hurt people. And just illustrate it, point it out, and be like, this family, you know, dad lost his job. Mom didn't want to get the vaccine because she was pregnant. And so now they can't, you know, put food on their table. They're going to lose their house, that sort of stuff. A lot of people who are also, like, they have medical conditions where they don't feel like they should take the vaccine. They're not sure. They're also not hardcore anti-vaccination, but they're like, hey, I have a heart condition. All these people are getting blood clots. Can I wait a couple years and see how this plays out? That's not an extreme scary position to take. That's just like a normal human reaction anyone would have. So I think we need to highlight and elevate those voices. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, I think the, the issue that I've ran into is trying to use logic against illogical people. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's just some people that we will never be able to win over. Uh, we'll never be able to pretty much do anything with other than, and, and this is the reason why I still will debate with some of these people online or in person or anything is because hopefully somebody on the sidelines will see it and it will spark something in their minds. Cause yes. I, at, at that point I don't, uh, I don't expect to wake the person up that uh, I'm talking to. Right. You're just arguing for the people who are reading the comments. Exactly. And that's really important because most of the people who are undecided are pretty silent about it because they don't want to get pushed and they don't want to be ridiculed or cast out of society. Exactly. And I, I think the Libertarian Party um, has a very unique opportunity right now to be able to sweep up a lot of these politically homeless people or even people who might be hardcore Democrats, but now the party doesn't align with what they feel. Um, yep. And, you know, we can welcome welcome them in with open arms and teach them the ways, you know? Yeah. So, like, in L.A., we filed this initiative to overturn the vaccine mandates. And the outpouring of support I've had from disenfranchised Democrats people in the Green Party and independence has been incredible. And so what I do is I kind of have them as my like, my outer circle in the party. They're always invited to come to events. I want them to get educated. I want them to speak with other libertarians who have good social skills and understand their pain points. And then I hope, like I play the long game with them. 
I hope that in six months to a year, they will have a complete change of heart and join the party. And I've seen it happen with other people. I just think you can't go after them with an aggressive hard sell if they're not totally like on board yet. You know, you'll just drive them away. But the, the outreach that we're doing for people who have been effectively cast out of society has been like the best um, sales pitch that I've been able to give yet. So why do you believe that uh, the LP itself, uh, National LP, was so terrible on messaging at the start of all of this chaos? Oh, man. Trying to think of how I can word this on a podcast. (laughs) Let's see. I hate to give you dead air as I sit here and reflect. Okay. So the party is definitely infested with wokeism. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to get offended. Mainstream culture says that lockdowns are okay, right? So maybe we'll just stay quiet on it. So there's that. People have a... The Libertarian Party, the National Party, has low self-esteem. It's like embarrassed to be libertarian. It doesn't want to get made fun of or picked on. That's not my attitude. I'll just lean into it. I'm like, you're right. I want your grandma to die. Sounds absurd, huh? Because it is. Whatever. But the National Party didn't have that attitude. So they were very much afraid of, you know, getting canceled. And they had some really bad leadership. It's a very, uh, very bad chair in 2018 through 2020. It's the same person 2016 through 2018, but I would say it was much worse 2018 through 2020. And the culture on the LNC has been very divisive. Part of that's due to bad leadership. What you need on the LNC is someone who will encourage people. Because a lot of people are going to be nervous and they're going to be like, I don't know. I don't know if I should speak out against the mandates. I'm afraid. And if you smack them in the face and tell them that they're cowardly idiots, they're not going to do what you want them to do. You need a leader or at least someone on the executive committee who can reach out and say, hey, man, I know that you're nervous about this, but I think that if we do X, Y, Z, if we put out this ad, if we say this, it's going to be phenomenal. We're going to be the most courageous political organization in the country. I believe in you. I know you can do it. I know you feel conflicted about it, but I want you to know I have your back. That's what you need to do with people who aren't totally on board with you because they're scared. And that didn't happen. And another thing that happened is you had a lot of toxic fighting because people disagreed. And I think some people had arguments, they had disagreements in good faith, but that's never the way to approach it. You can't bludgeon someone and scream at them that they're an idiot or a coward and useless and expect them to do what you want them to do. Well, it, it was definitely disappointing uh, yeah. From from what I saw, the uh, lack of messaging, it kind of seemed like yep. they, they as in, uh, you know, the people actually calling the shots, the elite, the, the you know, the politicians, whatever you want to call them, they handed us an opportunity on a silver platter and we just turned our noses up to it. It was the most shameful ball drop I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it really was. So... We're now running for chair of the National Libertarian Party. 
what was it that made you want to run? What was like the, the catalyst? Oh, it was definitely the National Party's failure to rebuke the lockdowns. Uh, I just saw people hemorrhaging out of the party. People were like, that's it. I quit. I'm done with this clown show. And so I said, well, hold on. What if you have someone better chair the party? Like, a lot better. What if I do it? And people thought, well, okay, I'll wait. I want to see that. So I'll stay. Uh, Plenty of people were excited, but I mean, there were people who were really leaning out. And I was like, just, will you just wait a little bit longer? And they were like, folded their arms and said, okay, let's see what you can do. Yeah, that's fair. You know, so I'm I'm glad somebody stood up because otherwise there would be a lot of people not in the party now. Yeah, absolutely. And like, so I run on this platform saying we need bold principled messaging. And that's very important. We need a lot of other things too, but you're not going to get them without better messaging. You're not going to grow your membership and you're not going to get new donors if you don't improve the outward facing, uh, the messaging of the party. So that's why I always hammer on that. That's true. So one question I've, I've been curious about it. It's still working through my mind. Um, somebody proposed it to me quite a while ago. And ever since then, it's just kind of made me think. And so I like to ask people of, uh, you know, different influence that, uh, and see what they think. And at this point in time, do you believe that there is even a purpose for an official national libertarian party? Yeah. Uh, the national libertarian party provides ballot access to all 50 states. Now it's supposed to, (laughs) it has not right now, uh, but it is supposed to. So that's an important uh, aspect. And there are some states where you can run without a political party, but that's not the case in every state. So I do think ballot access matters so that people who are liberty-minded can have a vehicle to run on and get their message out. And the presidential election, I think, is a wonderful tool for messaging and for building grassroots uh, movements around the country. And that's how I'd like to see it utilized in the future. And I think that Spike Cohen tried to do that. But the Jorgensen-Cohen ticket was not a united front, and there were a lot of problems, so... That's unfortunate. It was a very weak campaign. Um, Very, uh, very unfortunate um, for the time. Also had a great opportunity and it was also a dropped ball, in my opinion. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty shame. Yeah, especially with somebody as strong as uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Spike Cohen, like with him. And it was still a drop ball, really. He got hamstrung. Dan Smots made a great video for Joe Jorgensen. That was way underutilized. I did a phenomenal Soho Forum debate for Joe Jorgensen. That should have been utilized. I offered a speech right for her too. That didn't happen. For free. I was like, just what do you need? I'll literally do it right now. So, yeah, we need... We need candidates in the future who are going to work with the party. And the party doesn't control candidates, for anyone listening who's unfamiliar with that. The candidate controls their campaign. But the people who vote for that candidate need to vet that person and understand, you know, 
what degree of involvement that person's going to have in their own campaign, what their values are, you know, like what issues are important to them. Because we didn't do that with Joe Jorgensen. I think she's a super nice lady, but I don't think that she was very well suited for the role. You know, like there's a lot of nice libertarian people I know, but I'm not going to make them our presidential candidate. Exactly. Um, I I think that's one of uh, the things that the the party does. Um, everyone that I've talked to from different states, different counties, and everything, it it seems as though uh, the the best way to go about it is to see what somebody's strengths are, and mm-hmm. to put them where they're going to be most utilized, uh, a, a position of power, uh, as yeah. far as their strengths go. Um, yeah, Joe Jorgensen. You know, I don't have anything bad to say about her other than she was not a good presidential candidate. Right. She was Harry Brown's running mate in the past. And I think that that was probably a role better suited for her as a support role. And I think that she would probably have done well as a vice presidential candidate if Spike had had the presidential ticket. That would have been a lot better. Yeah. I mean, Spike is a an amazing speaker. He, he can uh, tell you why you're wrong, and uh, you can turn around and thank him for it. And yeah. it's uh, he he just uh, speaks to people like nobody else I've ever seen before. You know, it's uh, absolutely incredible. I actually interviewed him and asked him the same question about um, the purpose of having a national LP, um, and the. The conclusion that I've gotten to at this point is if it were to ever disband, um, I mean, there, there would obviously need to be some sort of formal organization to still keep ballot access. Um, but does it need to be what it is right now? Probably not. Probably needs to be scaled back some because it's not a position of power like uh, some people have taken it. Some people that shall remain nameless. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, so it's not a big deal. Like, we had a chairman who ran and he was, he was chair of the party for three terms, which is six years. I think that's too long. I think that when people run an organization for that long, they start to take ownership of it. Like if it's like a volunteer organization. Yeah. And I think that that should be a cautionary tale for us in the future. Don't run someone for three terms. Don't vote them in. Tell them, we appreciate what you did in the past. Let's let someone else do it. You should do something else. So if I'm elected, I'm not going to be doing three terms. So if at this point in time, if someone is unsure about voting for you as chair, what what would you say to them? I think that would depend on what their concerns are. I think playing to my base would be people who are skeptical of the Libertarian Party and they're not sure if we can pull it off. But I'll tell you that we're doing the work already. We're growing the party in a meaningful way, not just a numbers grab. We're getting a lot of well-known activists supporting us, liberty activists, Austrian economists, you know, People that really matter in our community are backing us. We are doing political action. Like in LA, there's 4 million people in my city. 
we're the only party who's fighting back against vaccine mandates. That's like my pet project. Um, so I am bringing that level of leadership to the national stage. And I am excited about it. And I am going to do it full time. <laughs> so I hope that would be uh, that would be enough to sway someone and say, you know what? I'll give it a try. Yeah. Let's see how you do. Well, I mean, we've had some pretty bad leadership yeah. for a long time. And somebody who actually cares about the party, I think, is definitely worth looking at. Um, like, I, I don't know. It seems illogical to me, you know? It's like, look at the person who actually cares and get them into office. Um, somebody yes. that's not going to use this as a, uh, a personal tool to lord over people as if, uh, you know, being the chair actually means something important, you know? It's not supposed to, and that's why we call it the chair as opposed to the president. Yeah. The, the idea is that the power lies in the seat, not the individual. Exactly. So to kind of get back to the Mises caucus a little bit. So there's a ton of misinformation, half-truths, and just absolute flat-out lies that are told and spread about the Mises caucus. Why do you believe that is? Oh, I don't know. I mean, why did the Lincoln Project go and put people who were Democratic plants with tiki torches in front of a Republican governor's uh, bus over the weekend? Like, it's just... People get upset when you come in and you do something that contradicts what they're already doing. And that's what we did. We came in and we said, you know what? You guys aren't doing a good job of running this. We think we can do better. And people clutched their pearls, screamed, oh, oh, you're going to take it away. My life's work. R-E-E-E-E-E, -E -E -E, capital. And then, I, you know, I've been to a lot of state uh, conventions across the country and I talk to people in all 50 states and what I've come to find is most of those states that scream the hardest that they don't want to be taken over when I go and I look there's not a lot to take over and I don't even mean that and I don't mean it in an insulting way like let's just confront reality yeah because that's needs to be done so that you can move forward productively in life and let's just rip the band-aid off quickly we haven't used effective political strategy. We haven't used any other type of effective strategy. So why don't you let someone else who might have a better clue run things for a little bit? And some of them say yes, and that's great. People are excited and, and they want help. But other people whose egos are wrapped up in their little social club, you know, they scream bloody murder. Oh, you Nazi, you're coming to take away my bridge club you know well, why don't you go play bridge or pinochle or whatever it is with grandma <laughs> and let the rest of us who are worried about our basic human rights being violated like why don't you let us do the political action you could still run the potluck or the church social or the libertarian social just let us do the more meaningful work the heavy lifting you know i think one of the largest misconceptions um that I've come across is that, you know, in this uh, takeover, that that automatically means you either have to join the Mises caucus or get out. 
And it's like, no, no, you don't. That's, <laughs> that's, we don't necessarily want anyone to leave. If anything, right. people just want everyone to be better libertarians. Yes, we do. Like, that's the big um, thing. A lot of the older guys in LA, LA, LA's huge. So we're like the largest county affiliate in the country. We are the ninth largest affiliate in general in the country. We're bigger than 41 state parties. So I have a lot of members to choose from, right? And a lot of the older members are very radical. They're not technically in the caucus, but they are in alignment with us on everything. I like love them to death. My county secretary was at a rally with me today, helping me collect signatures. You know, he's an older guy. He's not a Mises caucus, but you wouldn't know that, you know, unless you just asked him directly. Same, yeah, LA County is, it's solid. We have so many good people. Well, and that's, I want that's L- honestly great. Yeah, I want the LA County party. I wish I could just move them right up to national. It's just be perfect. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's just really interesting to see the people who are pearl clutching, who are uh, scared of the takeover, I guess. Yeah. Because um, at this point, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say just what I just said, that we, we don't want people to leave necessarily. Um, I, I think there are maybe a very tiny, you know, amount of people who I would like to see gone just because they aren't actually libertarians. Yeah, same here. I can count them on one hand, though. Yeah. I'm not going to name their names, but it's like, there's a handful of individuals. And that's really not that bad of a party with like thousands and thousands of people that there's like three or four people who I'd like to leave. Come on. I think we're doing pretty good. Exactly. Well, and it's it's kind of funny um, that all of a sudden the Mises caucus comes in, starts bringing people into the party, um, starts expanding things, gets everyone excited, and all of a sudden this is a bad thing. Right, right. Because we don't want growth, because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. I don't the like irony change. Of that. <laughs> yeah. Man, the irony is painful. Uh, Nick Sarwark used to give this stupid lobster speech. It's the opposite of Jordan Peterson's lobster speech. Do not confuse them. That he would talk about lobsters like molting and, you know, like, oh, the party, like, we're going through growing pains. It's just because we're shedding our skin and growing. Like, oh. Why don't you take your own advice? Like, just settle, hunker down. We'll get through this. But instead, you know, like, he's got to wage war on us and, I don't know, rage quit or something. Get noted. I was actually able to, uh, uh, you know, as a Mises Caucus member myself, I was able to sneak a picture of uh, myself and Nick at uh, Region 1 training. It's, yeah, uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to try and get him to sign at National. So <laughs> You should do that. I am on speaking terms. He doesn't like me, you know, but no. we used to be friends. That's another thing I would like to change in party culture is if you don't agree with someone, it doesn't mean that they have to be your enemy. Yeah. Because when the lockdowns happened, like I had maintained a friendship with him and, and several other people in the party who were kind of woke. I'd maintained friendship with them regardless through the Mises caucus stuff, through whatever. I'm like, oh, you know, like that's, I'm friends with you outside of this. It's all good. Once lockdowns happened, it was like, oh no, Angela, you spoke out against lockdowns. You are dead to me. And that's not healthy. So first of all, maybe those people don't belong in a liberty minded organization. 
But aside from that, it's like, we're all human beings. And if we've been friends for several years and have maintained relationships, like, why is that impossible to do now? I would like to change that culturally where we don't have to like be blasting each other on the internet all the time and writing people off just as quickly as we add them. Kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I'm going to kind of blame the uh, the echo chamber that is Twitter for that one. You know, that place is toxic Twitter, for Facebook. all groups. Yep. Yeah, and I don't even use Facebook, so I stay out of all of that completely. <laughs> it's just not worth it. They're very different beasts. Liberty Twitter is very different than Libertarian Party Facebook. Yeah. One is boomerish, the other is just kind of insane. Yeah, it all the petty squabbles, you know. Hop on every once in a once in a blue moon to uh just see what's going on and yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll never I, I'm never shocked to see just some new drama about every other day. Yep. It's like, really, people? Like, we, we've got, uh, you know, medical authoritarianism bearing down on us, bearing down on our uh, on our necks. And uh, this is what you guys are concerned about right now, is who said what to whom? Like, really? <laughs> Come on. Yep. Let's, uh, let's refocus here. Let's get back to uh, the adult things. So, it's uh, always just interesting to me. And being a member of the Mises Caucus, you know, I don't, I don't shy away from it, obviously, because I'm not ashamed of it by at, at all. Uh, I'm actually very proud of it. Um, but I don't, you know, usually fly that flag first and foremost. And it's really mm -hmm. interesting dealing with other libertarians uh, because it usually comes out later that uh, I'm involved in the, in the Mises Caucus. And uh, it's always interesting to see how different... I get treated after they find out because before right. it's always just like, Oh yeah, you're just a libertarian, whatever. And then they find out I'm Mises and it's like, Oh, well, and it's just, uh, I've always been curious Ridiculous. about that. It's like, yeah. so I put this, I don't get it as bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> female privilege. It's real. Yeah. That that's okay. You know, I, I don't mind. I, I can, uh, I can roll with the punches. So, so my question, ultimately, um, I, I think the Libertarian Party as a whole, uh, regardless of uh, where everyone is, uh, small L, large L, whatever, caucus, no caucus, we, we really should be pushing these ideas of liberty onto the younger generation. So yes. how do you believe that we can influence the younger generations to be more liberty-minded? I will tell you how. I am very passionate about this. Uh, youth engagement, really important. So if you're a libertarian, especially if you're on a county level executive committee or state level, you need to be hitting up junior highs and high schools, asking them, hey, who's your political science teacher? Who's your history teacher? Can I do a talk on the libertarian party? Uh, do you have a pol politics day? Can I come down that day? Is there a day that some other political thing is coming down? Can we all combine? That is a really great experience, and kids need to hear about it. I've done that plenty of times. Junior State Association is a youth organization that's, it's kind of weird, because it's like for politics, but no particular party. It's like kids want to pretend they're politicians, 
anyway, go table at their events. Um, get a get a chapter going, like a Mises Caucus, whatever you want to call it, Libertarian Youth chapter at a community college or any other university. That's a really great thing to do. Uh, you need usually like four or five students to sponsor an organization. And the last thing that I do is I actually have a high schooler on my executive committee in Los Angeles County. Now, that might sound ridiculous, but she works really hard. And generally, the kids who want to be that active in politics are very intelligent, which she is. I can, you can just tell, speaking to her, you feel like you're speaking to someone who's in their doctorate program. She's done... I think she's gotten more national Libertarian Party renewals in the last week than anyone else has in Southern California. She's really good on the phone. And she directs the Youth Caucus as well. So it's like, she's working her angle, I'm working mine. So yeah, those are some ways. Definitely get involved with young people and stay relevant. Learn to meme. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, you gotta stay relevant. Uh, yep. Gotta keep up with what's going on uh if if we don't spoon feed the younger generation somebody else will right and like i hate gen z fashion they part the hair down the middle and they wear mom jeans it's bad <laughs> and you crazy kids should stop it <laughs> but your memes are great you know and i and i like tiktok so keep all of that stuff up yeah right i mean i i think there's been a couple of things recently uh culturally that we've noticed uh the expose that Project Veritas did uh, exposing yeah. the teacher in California. Um, and that's one teacher out of many. Um, so many. It's, it's really scary. You know, uh, my, my, one of my first questions was, is uh, first of all, why had no parent ever walked into that classroom and why did the principal or vice principal never walk into that classroom? You know, yep. um, it's really concerning. Um, and yeah, if if we aren't going to teach the younger generation, our children, our friends' children, all of these other things, then somebody else is going to come in and it's usually going to be somebody exactly like that. Yep. So like today I was at a much more conservative leaning rally against mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And I'm talking to parents and I'm seeing what level they're at, right? Some of them are just waking up to problems in public school. Some of them are very actively engaged and fighting against it, attending school board meetings, so on and so forth. And then others have pulled their kids completely out. It was interesting to talk to people in the different levels of engagement. Um, my takeaway, though, is that we generally, culturally Americans, we're very busy and we do, most of us, tend to mind our own business a little too much till things like the pandemic happen. Uh, and that means that we're not paying attention to what's going on in kids' school, school rooms because we're just so focused on what we're doing. And, you know, like you got to go to work and do the grind. It's 40, 50 hours a week, plus your commute, you know, plus your cooking dinner or whatever. Kids' soccer games or church on the weekends. It's like you don't have time. You don't have time to be like, let me look at your textbook and comb through it. Now everybody's been put on notice. You better do that at the beginning of the semester. And then you could figure out if you need to intervene. 
yeah, figure out some way to uh, be able to meet your child's teachers at least once. Right. You know? Um, at least once. Just walk in the door. They're, they're supposed to have um, days for that, right? I mean, parent-teacher conferences. Um, right. And you could always get a hold of teachers through email, be able to set up some sort of a meeting before or after school or something. You know, it's, it's not absolutely impossible to be able to reach these teachers. Um, and yeah, it's if uh, your child's teacher has a gigantic hammer and sickle tattooed on their chest, then maybe you should start asking questions. Oh, dude. Yeah. The Communist Manifesto is the most recommended book for college reading in the entire country. It is disturbing. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, I've, I've read through it. Um, but by that point I had already read, uh, quite a few liberty leaning books. So it was more of, uh, I have to read it to be able to strengthen my arguments against it. Right. It's good to read that sort of stuff. It's not good to be told that it's the end all be all of your existence and not be told to read anything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, should probably take into account that the, uh, the, the man who wrote it never had a job in his, his entire life, uh, never gained any capital. Was it via me? V uh, was extremely racist, uh, sexist, was just a nasty, nasty man, you know, and we're supposed to listen to him about all these things. About how to plan your life and how to take over an economy. Yeah. From exactly. a dude who's never had a job. <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredibly logical, um, you know, but hey, people it listen to Bernie Sanders. Like, I was going to say, it sounds like Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is just the nicer Karl Marx. He's Karl Marx with, like, sprinkles. You know, I just don't trust a man who uh, combs his hair with a balloon. I just... Right. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like he a good seems... idea. I go back and forth between... He seems like a nice enough guy. Like, if you just sat down in a restaurant and he was at the table next to you, you'd be like, all right. But sometimes doesn't he also seem awful? He does. Where you're like, oh, I bet that guy would be a nightmare. Like, he'd probably be rude to his server. Well, as, as soon as I, I found out decide. that him and his wife took their honeymoon to a communist country, I, I, was, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that seems like a perfect place for a honeymoon. The USSR. Psychopathic. Oh, it's just absolutely crazy. So let's, let's change gears here a little bit. So... Uh, I found out uh, through a, another podcast that you had done that you're into metal music. Yes. So, unfortunately, you had to give your uh, Gojira ticket away. Uh, I was lucky, lucky enough to receive it. Thank you. Great show. I'm glad it went to good use. Yes. Yes, it definitely did. Um, so, what, what was the first band that got you into metal music? Megadeth. Megadeth, I was like 12 years old. And I was not fitting in at school. My parents were really strict, so I couldn't go to the junior high school dances. And kids were treating me differently. And I didn't... All of a sudden, it was all coming together. And I was like, this is going to be my whole life. Is being a, a forced to be a cast out 
I can't listen to popular music. I can't do the things. I can't afford the clothes. I was like 12, right? I'm like this 12-year-old girl sitting in her room, like kind of sad. And then Megadeth comes on. Just a very basic. Um, sweating bullets. Was it? No, it was Symphony of Destruction. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't even like what they like. I don't even want to be like that. I can be my own person. I can be into heavy metal. <laughs> That's my excuse. It was like completely like changed my life. So thanks, mom and dad, for being really strict because that's what got me into heavy metal. <laughs> Hell yeah, mine mine was uh, the the first album I had given to me that always blew my mind was uh, Judas Priest's British Steel, and just that oh, album yeah, cover. Incredible album. Put that on. I think I was maybe 10, 11 years old. Um, was absolutely sold. And then uh, my sister actually took me to my first concert when I was 13, and it was Kiss and Aerosmith. And ever since that concert, I was immediately hooked. And it was all uphill from there. So That's like really good intro to when you're like 13. Like Kiss and Aerosmith, that's like you're just kind of sliding into home base. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Got super involved in the local scene after that, you know, all local shows and still mm-hmm. went to larger concerts and everywhere in between. It was great. So. So on my drive home today, I was jamming out to death because that's like, it's a hard, it's a toss up. My favorite band of all time is either Death or Megadeth. So I'm, that's probably sound like a cartoon character, but that's okay. <laughs> um, let's see. What is I can never figure out what my favorite death album is. It changes all the time. But I was listening to Symbolic on the way home, and I was like, I don't listen to this album enough. It's really good. See, I don't think I can choose a favorite. I I don't know. I've been listening to them since a little out of high school. I, I don't think I can choose a favorite. It's like choosing just, my favorite like, Cannibal time. Corpse album. It's like, I can't. <laughs> I don't have a favorite Cannibal Corpse album ever, or either. I'm looking at my playlist because it was because it was so good that I took a screenshot of it while I was driving home because I was like, how did YouTube music and now I hate Google, but like it, it looked into my soul. I was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, what what yeah. top three uh, bands, metal bands always end up on your playlist? Oh, always is hard. Uh, Death, Megadeth, I'm a big Three Inches of Blood fan. I love Thrash Oh, yes. Love it. Uh, Arch Enemy. I was listening to some Arch Enemy today. I do like Cannibal Corpse. Um, Obituary. I like some power metal. Uh, So Blind Guardian I really like because they have kind of a thrashier origin. Yeah. And then I really like Judas Priest. Like, I'm really into thrash metal, some power metal, about half of it, and then really into technical progressive death metal and oh. Gothenburg metal. I love that sound out of, out of Gothenburg. Oh, yeah. At the Gates, Arch Enemy, like, um, what's the other big one? I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah, Judas Priest was definitely my introduction. Um, at, at the time... Um, when I was, uh, I think it was about 11, 12, 
I picked up Slipknot's first album. And okay. I was I just looked at that, you know, self-titled album and I was like, what the hell is this? I've never seen anything like this before and put it on. And uh, yeah, that got me going in two different directions because I had to go mm-hmm. uh, with the classic direction, you know, uh, you know, the uh, British Invasion, heavy metal, yeah, uh, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, um, always went that direction. Uh, Motorhead, without a doubt, is my number one. Um, That's a great number one. Yeah, right. I was able to uh, catch their last concert here in Salt Lake um, right before Lemmy passed away. Um, That's very cool. Yeah, it was only, they only played three songs, but it was the loudest and best three songs I've heard any band ever play ever. (laughs) And you got to give them credit. They continued to be loud and very fast, just right up until the time Lemmy dropped. Yep. There was no slow downward decline. Like I had... I can't remember the names of them, but I got some of the albums they released in the 2000s. And I was like, wow, this is not like what Bon Jovi did to their music. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like the Black Album. No offense to people who like the Black Album, but we know it's not like a hardcore thrash album. Yeah. Metallica died with Cliff Burton, you know. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. So speaking of thrash metal, have you ever heard of Havoc? Oh, yeah. I love Havoc. Super yeah. libertarian in Denver. Yeah, I actually uh, absolutely love those guys. Got to see them uh, play with Nile, you know, super heavy death metal. And it was... uh, I might have seen them on the same tour. Yeah, right. A couple years before everything went to shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, phenomenal. Um, Their their singer, David, he actually has a uh, podcast, Free Plug. It's called Riff or Die. Um, it's pretty cool. He just sits and talks about Liberty things and talks about heavy metal music, you know? Oh, I need to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Riff or die. It's a great show trying to get him on. So anyone sees him or talks to him, David, come on the show. He's on Instagram. He has a very good Instagram. Oh yes. Yes. I always had to make sure and follow him. Um, so yeah, I, I just always thought that was interesting is, uh, so the first time I had actually ever heard um, about you yourself was uh, it was on uh, Dave Smith's show. And um, I'm actually a pretty large Dave Smith fan. So uh, he said, get Angela McArdle into chair and I'll run for president. And I thought that was uh, really interesting. I was like, I don't know who she is, but all right, let's do this. And then as soon as I found out that you were a fan of heavy metal, you know, I was like, oh, that's it. I'm sold. That's that's who my vote's going to. I'm telling you, we're going to make this party something really amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm honestly just excited to uh, have the energy back, have the messaging in the right position. Um, I really wish people wouldn't leave. Um, you right. know, it's like, no, 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 don't don't leave. Don't go somewhere else. Like, stay here. Let's all make the party better. If you don't like something in the party, well, let's talk about it. Let's uh, let's get somewhere where we can agree. That's like the great part of our party. So I got to ask, looking into the future, are you more white-pilled, black-pilled, gray-pilled, clown-pilled? I'm very white-pilled. Um, let me tell you why. So in 2017, I ran for Congress. And... Right before then, I started getting a little bit sick. 
And by the summer of 2017, I was extremely ill and diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Not a little bit, but like pretty bad. And a little less than a year ago, they wanted to, my doctors wanted to take my colon out. I was riddled with ulcers, anemic, severe internal bleeding, constantly very, very sick, chronic pain, infections. And I have dealt with that. I'm much better now, but I would say I dealt with it for at least three and a half years. And the last three and a half years of my life have been more productive than the rest of the years I've been on this planet combined. Um, Because some of us, when we are faced with adversity, we really know how to shape up. And it really puts a lot of things in perspective. And as awful as lockdowns are, they are horrible. If I could erase them, I would. Vaccine mandates, even worse. I would definitely erase them. But I think that it's the fire that we need lit under us as libertarians to get our act together and to achieve something great. Um, and so like, I look into the future with optimism and I think that we are solidifying right now an incredible organization, an incredible community that's grown around it resources, you know, sound philosophy, education for people's children in the future, alternative education and academia and entertainment and news media. Like, I just think that for those of us that stick together, the future is going to be really bright and there will be some hardship and there will be hard things that we have to overcome. But if we can get over those hurdles, I think that the future is like better than we can imagine. I I would completely have to agree. And that's a great answer. Um, it, it's really hard, I think, to continue to be white pilled. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a, uh, a culture of fear. Yes. Um, although it, it's, it's a lot of fear, a lot of darkness. Uh, it seems to me that if, we weren't in a good position to actually spread liberty um, as a whole, then the powers that be wouldn't have to push their propaganda as hard as they do. Right. Right. They're on the brink of scary, crazy control, but they're also on the brink of collapse. Exactly. And we I, may be the ones to push them over. Exactly. I think we are right in that position. Um and we have the ability to get back to a more liberty-minded um, society, which, you know, liberty and justice for all. So Definitely. So uh, Every day I wake up just like glad to be alive and looking for any opportunity I have to seize the day and try to make this a freer world to live in. Exactly. And I... I Honestly, I love it because it's, it's liberty for you, for me, and any, every single person watching this, every single person not watching this. Uh, the ability to be left alone, keep their money, um, have their money actually be worth something, receive an education that's not riddled full of propaganda and you know fear, um, be able to have a good job, be prosperous, be able to own property, 
all of these things, uh, be able to choose for yourself what the right way to live is. And honestly, people like you um, and other people within the Libertarian Party is definitely what keeps me white pilled, you know. And uh, we we've got a uh, we've got a long hard road ahead of us, but we've got a lot of great people behind us pushing it forward. So, yep, I'm confident we can do it. We just gotta we just gotta show up. Exactly. So, uh, last question before we wrap wrap this up. Um, you are an incredibly busy person. Uh, it seems like you're a Wonder Woman. You do so much. So my question, um, do you have any advice for any members or people that are thinking about being members uh, to avoid burning themselves out? That seems to be a big issue in the LP. Yes. Okay. So some tips for avoiding burnout. Don't do literally everything on your own. And if you feel that you're in a situation where you have to do everything, take very good notes and try to train someone as you go. And then you can take a break and someone else can do what you're doing. Try to carve out a little space in your life where there's no libertarianism. I have an Instagram account that's nothing but like cat pictures of my cats. (laughs) And it's not party business. It you know, other people, please take more space than a tiny Instagram account, but do what you can. I have one member who's very active. I never bother him on Sunday because Sunday is family day and that's what he does. So like set something aside, some little chunk. Um, and don't work yourself too hard for free. Not everybody is going to be able to get paid to do this, but you can get reimbursed at least for your time. So don't burn yourself out financially either. And then let's see some other pieces of advice. Don't pass up an opportunity for financial gain for a shaky bet at liberty activism. Make sure you are taking care of yourself and your family financially. Contribute to the party what you can, but make sure that you put your own livelihood and sanity first, always. Because you can't contribute if you burn out or you go broke. It's very true. Without without the people, I mean, there's yeah. no purpose to all this uh, liberty movement. So, got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. That's right. Go buy some a uh, little bit of Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. Little Not bit a of... whole one, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you can, great. Go do that. But get a little bit. Exactly. I've been uh, actually using and uh, buying these things gold backs because here in Utah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Here in uh, Utah, gold and silver bullion are actually considered legal tender. So, uh, Amazing. Um, yeah, th- those are actually made here in Utah. And so any anything local, you know, I definitely implore anyone to uh, look into gold and silver. Uh, definitely Bitcoin, Monero, anything like that. Have some extra food and water on hand, you know. Always yeah. a great idea. So uh, go ahead and uh, plug whatever you got going on, anywhere people can reach you, uh, find you, uh, where you're most active. Yeah, so I'm actually very easy to get a hold of. You can give me a shout out or a follow on Twitter at Angela for LNC Chair. If you're curious to see what 
upcoming appearances I have. That is all listed on AngelaMcArdle.com. I do have a Soho Forum debate on December 8th in New York on vaccine mandates. And if you want to support the work I'm doing and uh, help contribute towards all the work I'm doing on the anti-mandate initiative, you can support me at patreon.com forward slash Angela McArdle. Awesome. I'll make sure and uh, link to all of that in the episode description. Make sure and go check out what she has going on. I will definitely be checking out that debate at the Soho Forum. Uh, I love all of those debates. Always put a uh, a notification anytime anything's coming up with them. So we'll have to put that down on the calendar. So maybe we'll uh, get a live stream going or something over here, do some commentary behind it while it's live. That, that would be a lot of fun. So go ahead and check out the show at risetoliberty.com. Um, you can find everything and uh, everything related to the show uh, everywhere we are. Um, I would recommend everyone going to risetoliberty.com slash free speech for a uncensored social media to where uh, we can post uh, news articles, have discussions where uh, we are not welcomed other places such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of these other places. So if you like unvetted, you know, freedom of speech, then hit us up over there. And uh, it was a great pleasure having you on, Angela. We'll definitely have you on again. And uh, I guess we will be seeing you in Reno. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime.